0: There's a book called In the Shadow of the Titanic and I always relate to that name because I sort of feel like I myself grew up in the shadow of the Titanic.
1: On the 14th of April 1912, the Titanic, a British passenger liner, hit an iceberg during its maiden voyage across the North Atlantic.
0: When I was about six years old, I was given a jigsaw puzzle of the Titanic in its last throes, very cheerful present for a child.
1: It took two hours and 40 minutes for the ship to sink, leading to the deaths of almost 1,500 people. With
0: half the ship underwater and the other half sticking up in the air and lifeboats coming away from the sinking ship. And uh, yeah, that was my job for the next little while to put together a, um, a jigsaw puzzle of a tragedy. Do you remember at the time what you actually wanted for Christmas? No, I don't, I'm afraid. I think at six years old I probably wanted a puppy, but I don't
1: I don't know. This puzzle of a shipwreck that a six-year-old Sarah Gregson was gifted by her parents one Christmas morning in the 1960s depicts one of the most infamous maritime disasters in modern history. is History Lab and I'm Tamsin Peach. Today, an investigation into the politics of memory. It will take us to some unexpected places and we'll see what a story about trying to remember can reveal about what we choose to forget. I was born in Southampton and we came to Australia when I was very young. Southampton is where the Titanic began that fateful voyage from the UK to New York. But Southampton isn't the only connection that a now-grown-up Sarah Gregson has with the ship.
0: As long as I can remember, I always knew that my great-grandfather
1: had been a stoker on the Titanic. Stokers are the people who shoveled coal into the furnace to power the ship. They call them the Black Gang because it's a very dirty and tough job. Sarah Gregson went on to become a labour historian at the University of New South Wales.
0: I was doing my PhD research on the maintenance of the White Australia policy.
1: Until one day, her work led her to a small mining town in far west New South Wales. I was in Broken
0: Hill and walking through Sturt Park. Um, It was just on the way to the library, a bright sunny day, and I saw a broken column, which is a classic Greek symbol of life cut short, And uh, when I realised it was a Titanic memorial, I was really quite blown away because I don't know how many relatives of Titanic victims there are in Australia, but probably not that many. In Southampton, there are a dime a dozen.
1: So how did a ship that went down in the night over 18,000 kilometres away somehow make its way into the hearts and minds of an Australian desert town?
0: I don't think I really realised that it was a mythology when I first... Started to look at it, I just thought we're a long way from the ocean.
1: Why is that there? So we sent History Lab producer Nina Copel
2: to investigate. Ladies and
3: gentlemen, welcome to Broken Hill. Please remain seated family
2: So I'm on the corner of Beryl and Sulphide Street, um, in the middle of Broken Hill, and behind me the sun is setting, and to my right is Dirt Park. So, I've been told that this monument is in the middle of a park. So, it should be easy to find. Oh, yep, I see it. It's right there. Oh, it's so much smaller than I was expecting. It's a very beautiful park. Green grass, and there's lots of roses. Beautiful spot to be. So there's a plaque at the front of the monument which says, erected by the citizens of Broken Hill as a memorial to, to the, to the heroic, heroic bandsmen of the, steam of the steamship, steamship Titanic. Titanic, who playing to the
0: end calmly faced certain death whilst women, children and their fellow men were being rescued from, from the wreck of, of that ill-fated, ill-fated
2: vessel. So that's in the middle and then there's this big pillar broken off at the top Um And also on the plaque, I should say, as well, is a bar of music, which is from Nero My God to Thee, which, as the story goes, is what the bandsmen were playing as the Titanic sank.
1: But that story about them playing as the ship went down, did that really happen?
0: I think it's unlikely. It's one of those things that we'll never know for sure. But the most reliable witness, a guy called Gracie, he said that the band packed up about half an hour before the ship sank, which makes more sense. It would be hard to play on a listing ship, I would imagine. Another thing often
1: misunderstood about the bandsman.
0: Of course, they didn't play Nearer My God To Thee because it would have been irresponsible. They were there to play light airs, to calm people. Nearer My God To Thee was a funeral song. Mass panic would have ensued if they'd played that. I think the the most credible explanation is this is a mythology that people have told themselves over time. They've tried to liken the victims to uncomplaining heroes, that they were somehow brave in their um, in their decisions. And I'm not saying that they weren't the people who stood back and, and allowed people into lifeboats. I think there was an element of heroism in that.
4: 1912, the SS Titanic appeared the very symbol of a way of life, prosperous, inevitable and everlasting. Nothing to see,
3: nothing to hear, except the distant roar of the water and the Titanic.
0: Isn't that the ship that they say is unsinkable?
3: Three sharp clangs on the crow's nest bell, followed by a cry from the lookout, ice right ahead, sir. Till the
0: end I heard and play. near my got to my God
3: The biggest and finest ship in the world.
0: I think these stories, perhaps they calm people and make them uh,
1: not think about the suffering that people went through. But if this memorial in Broken Hill was some kind of expression of grief, why is it dedicated to the bandsmen? What was it about them that moved an Australian desert town to cast their names in stone?
2: Knock Knock. Hello. Hi. Hello. Which way am I going? Uh, (laughs) So I've been asking everyone around town who can tell me more about the bandsmen and what they mean to Broken Hill. And people keep pointing me towards one person. Hello, come on in. Thank you. What a beautiful old building. Margaret Price from the Broken Hill Historical Society. They're based out of this old historic synagogue in town and that's where we meet. This is the Titanic uh,
4: memorabilia here.
2: So Margaret and I are standing in this room with these cabinets full of Titanic memorabilia. There's books, pictures... This cupboard has got a lot of the
4: written work. ..small
2: replica statues.
4: It sort of tells a story.
2: But Margaret has a few stories of her own. She leads me out of the room with all the memorabilia, into a passageway and into the historic synagogue. That's right, come in. Um... I don't know if you'll remember this but when did you first become aware that there was a bandsman memorial
4: in Broken Hill? Oh when I was a kid yeah we used to skip around it never really taking into consideration that a huge big ship sunk we just thought it was bandsmen in Broken Hill and most people do they say oh we didn't know so many bandsmen were on the Titanic from Broken Hill I said nobody was but they just assume that's why we built it.
2: None of the bandsmen on the Titanic were from Broken Hill. None of them were even Australian.
4: The people in Broken Hill played bands. The miners played bands. There were bands, bands, bands. So in
2: 1912, when the people of Broken Hill heard about the Titanic sinking.
4: When they read it in the paper or heard it on the radio, they all then said, we got to remember those heroic men. And they probably thought they were the only men that stayed on board not really understanding so many other people went down. So that's it. The memorial was an expression of empathy.
2: Well, that's what Margaret told me. But to understand why the bandsmen in Broken Hill felt so strongly about the bandsmen on the Titanic, you have to know a bit about the history of Broken Hill and in particular, the history of music in Broken Hill. (laughs) This is the Barrier Industrial Union's brass band at their weekly rehearsal... We're in a large hall and photographs line the walls, along with Oz uniforms and memorabilia spanning back to the band's formation in 1884.
5: When you're a brass player, you uh, generally a brass player for life. <laughs> this is Ross Morby. I play a baritone, which is a little larger than a tenor horn, and a little smaller than a euphonium
2: but he also happens to be a past president of the Broken Hill Historical Society. So he's a good person to shed some light on what music has meant to the town.
5: We uh, play a lot of music associated with Broken Hill. Broken Hill, I Love You Still is one of those tunes we play rather regularly.
2: So when you play the music, you feel like you're connected
5: to the history of Broken Hill? Mm, mm, I do. The, the music is uh, very meaningful. Even today we play music uh, associated with the union movement, like the red flag and music like this, militant union songs. And, um, that, and that's going back to the big strikes early in the um, early days of the 20th century and the late 19th century. So the brass bands were kind of like the soundtrack to
1: Broken Hill unionism. Exactly. And so the strikes Ross was telling you about, they were for better work conditions in the mines?
2: Yeah. And if you know anything about the history of Broken Hill, it would be about the town's mines. They're famous. Well, that's where BHP Billiton started, right? Yeah. BHP started off as Broken Hill Proprietary Company Limited.
1: But it's also famous for its industrial action.
2: Yeah. So if we're talking about the period when the Titanic sank in 1912, it would have been the 1908 to 1909 BHP lockout that was fresh in people's minds.
0: The 1908-9 strike was um, very well photographed. And uh, there were a lot of images of the band... Playing and the miners marching to the pit heads, um, very organised and very uh, fiercely organised against scabbery.
2: So scab is a union term for people who cross the picket line and continue to work during strikes. You know, they didn't want
0: non-union workers going on the mine, but also as a show of strength as well.
2: So if I was a miner in 1909 and I was going to try to go to work during that um, BHP lockout, what would happen
0: to you may well have had an image of uh, a scab put onto a coffin, a make-believe coffin, and the coffin marched up the street to the marching band and ceremoniously put
2: into the grave. Um, probably got one somewhere. Sarah's scrolling through some research on her computer, looking for some images that will bring the story to life. Into it. Uh, oh, yeah. And there they are. Pictures of the graves and tombstones featuring skulls, dedicated to the men who dared to keep working.
0: To the memory of Thomas Fowler, scab in the BH mine, 1909, scab's grave. So, no fate too dire um, for a scab.
2: So, he wasn't really dead? No, 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 they didn't actually kill him. <laughs> <laughs> Back at the band hall in Broken Hill, Russ continues to tell me some of the brass band's history and its connection to both the unions at home and abroad.
5: There was a very strong uh, tie between unionists throughout the world in those days. When the um, strikers in London, the dock strikers, uh, went out on strike, unionists in Broken Hill sent money over to support the dockside workers.
2: And so when the Titanic sank in 1912, the union band in Broken Hill heard about it and felt solidarity with the bandsmen who had died on board, connected to them through this global movement.
5: It was just the sentiment that people had that these were brave men that died and keeping people calm as the ship sank and um, we decided to put up a memorial. So this wasn't just some musicians
1: expressing empathy for their fellow bandsmen – this was a kind of political statement about workers and unionism.
2: And that's where this gets really interesting, because this is a story about politics and the union movement, but it's not quite as simple as it seems. Um, I'm going to give you something to read and ask you to read it, and you'll probably realise what it is fairly quickly.
0: Oh, I've never read it out aloud before. So, um, In loving memory of William Edward... Three long years have now passed since this great sorrow fell, yet in my heart I mourn the loss of one I love so well. Time rolls on and years pass by, whatever may be my lot, as long as life and memory last, he will never be forgot. I, I'm surprised, like I'm not, I'm not a teary person, but yeah, it really is very touching.
2: Sarah's reading a small notice printed in a newspaper article in 1915.
0: That's something that Emily Ellen, wife of William Edward, put in the newspaper three years after her husband died on the Titanic and um, William Edward was my great-grandfather.
2: In case you've forgotten, he was a stoker on the ship, one of the black gangs.
1: So when Sarah was working on that puzzle of the Titanic...
2: She was recreating the image of her great-grandfather's death.
0: The Stokers have a kind of mixed reputation because some of them survived and it was... How can I put it? Not good for your masculinity to survive the Titanic sinking because of this notion that the men uh, had to stand back. But many of them were put into lifeboats to row, uh, to be in charge of the boat. So some men um, didn't survive because of cowardly reasons. They'd survived because they were fulfilling a role in the lifeboats. But also there would have been men who um, thought, this, I'm going to do whatever I can to get into a lifeboat. And being a stoker, they would have been at the bottom of the ship and probably had a closer realisation than most that the ship was going to sink.
2: But when you start to break down the narrative of those who survived that night and those who didn't, what starts to emerge is really a message about class.
0: The statistics suggest that if you were a first-class woman, the only reason that you didn't survive was that you refused to get into the lifeboat, and that was true of uh, women who were scared or um, women who chose to stay with their husbands. Uh, But the interesting stat, I think, is that 31% of first-class men survived, but also 31% of third-class children survived. So when you say 31% of first class men and third class children I think you start to see that there was a class advantage in who got into the boats. I also think that it's difficult to understand how there couldn't have been mass panic and jockeying for all the seats in the boats had some people not been prevented from coming up to the deck. And so I think a large number of third-class passengers never even were able to get through. And I don't know whether that's because they were locked down there or whether there were people saying, no, you can't come through here. You know, those notions of areas that were off limits by class was still quite strong then, even in a catastrophe.
2: So why is it then that the bandsmen have been the most remembered figures from the night the Titanic sank? I think the bandsmen
0: have been memorialised more than any other Titanic victim. They've certainly been seen as a trope for memorials more commonly than anything else. That can't be said of other workers on the Titanic. In fact, you could be forgiven for thinking that the rich first-class passengers rode themselves for all that is talked about the crew.
2: And so when Sarah arrived in Broken Hill and saw the Titanic Memorial...
0: It had a particular resonance for me that it probably wouldn't for many other people. And that started the research. So I started looking at newspapers and then I started to get a, a sense of the people
2: who wanted the memorial. As it turns out, it wasn't just the Union brass bands.
0: I found there was a different story to tell about conservative people in the town wanting the memorial. The initial memorial committee was made up of mostly town elite people, mine managers, uh, members of the local clergy, the mayor and so forth. Ordinary
2: workers weren't involved in the committee. Sarah never managed to find the minutes of the memorial committee's meetings, so we can't know exactly what happened in them. But she did find newspaper articles that report them in very fine detail. So what do they say? Well, one of the things the newspapers reveal are the people who were involved in the decision-making behind the scenes. One of those people was William W.E. Wainwright.
0: Bill Wainwright was a a leading mine manager in Broken Hill. He managed the Broken Hill South mine at the time of the Titanic sinking. And he was quite innovative, both in technological matters, in mining, but also in matters of labour relations. And so the... Mine Managers Association was asked to give a donation to the Titanic Memorial, but their minutes record that they didn't have any money for such purposes, but they encouraged their members to go along and intervene in the discussion.
2: So Wainwright wasn't on the memorial committee, but he was there when they were making some pretty important decisions. Decisions like what the monument would say and who it would memorialise. What were they planning? Well, they were talking about a memorial for the engineers.
4: A monument has been erected in London to the engineers.
2: But Wainwright said he thought a memorial for the bandsmen would be more appropriate.
4: To the memory of the ship's brave bandsmen, it had been women and children first with them.
0: And so Bill Wainwright was one of those who who chose to go along and and intervene. And he was one of the people who most strongly opposed the notion of commemorating the engineers and and preferring the
1: bandsmen as a memorial subject. Why did a mine manager care whether the town remembered the Titanic engineers
2: versus the bandsmen? Sarah says one reason is that the engineers in Broken Hill were unionised.
0: They were absolutely crucial to the success of disputes in Broken Hill because they controlled the lifts that go up and down to the mine. So if the workers were out on strike, then nobody worked. And so when it came to thinking about what was a, a desirable subject for memorialisation, I think it's no um, accident that the mine managers on the committee said, oh no,
1: we'd rather the bandsmen than the engineers. And everyone just went along with that?
0: Well, the plan went ahead. The memorial was unveiled in 1913. So the union bands played, speeches were made. They talked a lot about the um, sympathy that people of Broken Hill felt for the victims of the Titanic disaster, which I'm sure is very
2: true. There was talk about Britain and what it means to be British.
0: They very much wanted to emphasise The imperial connections between Britain and Australia and, to a certain extent, America.
2: And the mayor said things like...
0: When danger was the greatest, the more courage the British had displayed.
2: But what does this have to do with the bandsmen? It's about the symbolism behind the memorial and what the town wanted to say about itself at this moment in time.
0: I think this is a clear motif that is really common in Titanic uh, remembrance to emphasise the Britishness of the heroes um, when really the Titanic was a ship of all nations, Um, to uh, talk about the men who stood back as British heroes was very important and to link Australia with supporting that kind of narrative, you know, we're part of that great League of White Nations, literally.
2: So the union band starts to play Nearer My God To Thee and there's another speech from a man named W.J. James. And he said that the memorial was another evidence of the
0: sympathy that local people felt for the bereaved.
1: It worthily commemorates the grand deeds of a brave body of men.
2: But then he said this.
1: I trust that the time is not so far distant when this community would see fit to erect a monument to the memory of many of their own brave citizens who lost their lives on the mines of Broken Hill.
2: So that speech was made at the unveiling ceremony in 1913. Guess when the city of Broken Hill unveiled the miners' memorial. 1925, maybe? No, it would take a lifetime, 88 years to be exact, before the Line of Load miners' memorial was built in 2001. When you walk around the town of Broken Hill today, you're shadowed by a small mountain of mining refuse. It's called a slag heap and it basically divides the town in half.
1: And that was where the original BHP mine was, right? Right in the centre of the town?
2: Yeah, and as they mined the ridge, it got bigger and bigger. Is there still mining going on? There is a little bit, but nowhere near what it was in the past. As mining left Broken Hill, so did its residents. At the last census, there were less than 18,000 people in town. But in 1915, at the peak of the boom, Broken Hill had a population closer to 35,000.
1: And what happens in the slag heap now?
2: Well, it's taken on a new meaning. I'm standing outside the lodge where I'm staying here in Broken Hill, and it's hard to imagine a time before there was a miners' memorial in town. I've organised to meet a retired mines inspector, Stan Goodman, here at 9am, and he pulls up right on time in a big four-wheel drive.
3: Are you aware that a lot of the streets in Broken Hill are named after uh, minerals and that sort of thing like for example
2: trying to navigate mountain Broken mountain hill, hill you could be forgiven for thinking you had picked up a periodic table instead chloride,
3: of a map. Oxide, chloride, iodide, they're parallel streets. Blend, barrel Stan
2: started off in the mines straight out of high school and worked his way up to being a mines
3: inspector. Like right. it's all more to do with safety. Um, right. the mines inspector's uh, job
2: and although Stan's retired now, he keeps himself pretty busy. He's on a mission to change the way miners are remembered in Broken Hill. And it all started right here, on top of the slide heap. <laughs> I'm just looking around and it's... You realise how in the middle of Australia we are? <laughs>
3: yeah, it's not... Um, Broken Hill's not exactly the, um, you know, the prettiest place uh, on the earth but um, you know, to a lot of us it's home. Would you like to go over to the memorial?
2: Yeah, that would be wonderful.
3: But I come up here periodically, um, you know, just I'm not seeing anything new, It's uh, I guess I just <laughs> I reminisce with myself, uh, I look at names and uh, think about things that happened and yeah. It's a bit morbid in a way, I suppose, but... Uh, <laughs> now it's... Uh, yeah, it's a bit hard to explain. Come up here. Maxwell George Rose was my brother-in-law. Um, he was jammed between a piece of equipment and the, and the rock and a, a bolt went through, his heart hat into his brain and uh, that happened about six o'clock uh, in the evening and he died about nine o'clock the next morning in hospital. But uh, that sort of sort of set me off, I guess, um, wanting to find the details. but his age is wrong. You know, and I thought, geez, you know, if that's if that's a mistake, I wonder how many other mistakes there are. And the more I looked, the more I found a lot of mistakes. And uh,
2: so, what age does it say that he is there?
3: Twenty nine. In fact, he was twenty seven. Yeah. Now, you know, it's. I think if you are going to have a memorial, you should make the information as accurate as you possibly can. And I think it just wasn't awesome researched properly.
2: For Stan, remembering is about getting the facts right.
3: When I started reading through it, I could see so many mistakes in the way names were spelt, uh, dates of death, uh, cause of death. Um, and I, I'd retired by this stage. And uh, you know, I thought, oh, I've got to do something and rather than just sit around home. So uh, I started doing researching all the fatal accidents that happened on the mine and finishing up uh, doing a book
2: stands taking history into his own hands, investigating the stories behind the names on the monument.
3: I don't say I've got 100% right, all the information, but it's as good as what I've been able to find, whereas a lot of the information that went to put it preparing this was poorly researched, it really was. Excuse me.
2: We walk through the memorial and come to a blank section right at the end. Why do you think
3: there's extra space? Fingers crossed that there won't be any more, but if there's any more, there'll be, uh, there's room to put them there. <laughs> but hopefully there'll be no more additions, but in mining, you, you never say never.
1: So why did it take so long for a mining town to build a memorial for all its workers who had died?
2: And why, in 1913, when the Titanic Memorial was built, didn't they consider building a miners' memorial instead?
0: The year that the Titanic went down was a particularly deadly one in Broken Hill. 21 fatalities and 385 men injured or off work for more than a week.
6: Death was a uh, a forever-present companion in Broken Hill Homes.
2: This is Christine Adams, she's a local historian and city councillor, and she tells me that back in 1912 and 1913, deaths in the mines were happening way too frequently to even think about building a miners' memorial. But with the turn of the century…
6: By then you had that uh, lessening of pain because the deaths were not as frequent as they were when the Titanic went down. Well, maybe she
1: has a point. Maybe the town had to wait until mining slowed down before they could stop and build something like a miners' memorial.
2: Maybe, but Christine says there was also a question of cost.
6: Who would in those days have said, well, we're going to put up a memorial for the men that have died on our mines? You know, I mean, you, if you go out to the cemetery, yes, there are quite a lot of deaths recorded on, uh, on the epitaphs of the graves.
2: Christine spends a lot of time at the cemetery.
6: I always say, well, I have more, more relations out there than I do in town.
2: And she thinks that the cemetery provides some clues about why a miners' memorial wasn't built sooner.
6: Because the stories in that cemetery tell you the story of Broken Hill. You can follow the, 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 the frequency of the deaths on the mine, but you can also see you know, people that died in certain years and you can actually work out how this city arose from what it did because it was a, it
1: was a pretty hard struggle to survive. So the cemetery was kind of a monument unto itself.
0: I think that's interesting, but it's a fragmented memorial process, isn't it? Uh, I think you only get to see the death toll when you see all the names collected in a a place. And um, I think it's over 800 men have died in Broken Hill in the mines, so
2: individual graves don't cut it as a trope for me. But maybe these two different memorials have a stronger link than you might expect.
6: When you think about it, there is a connection. Because those men died in their job. And if you look at Broken Hill, with 850 names up there on the Miners Memorial, a lot of those men would have been bandsmen.
2: I never thought
6: of that. I mean, I only just thought about it myself, to be honest. Yeah, they would have been members of our bands. That died underground, or, or you know, so so there, there there would have been an empathy with with the, with the Broken Hill people because of, of their sense of loss, and, and their loss was a frequent loss.
1: So, what does Sarah make of that idea that the two memorials are in some way related? I've read similar
0: arguments in tourist brochures of Broken Hill. However, I think that argument doesn't account for the people who opposed the memorial on the basis that local deaths were not paid attention to at that time. Um, And in fact, the Mine Managers Association was absolutely shameless in not giving money to the local hospital to support workers who had all sorts of shortened lives because of the impact of workplace disease they they didn't give money at all to those purposes so the idea that they would be concerned then about titanic dead i think again shows the hypocrisy so while i have no problem accepting that people were horrified by the titanic loss the fact that it takes years to get a memorial to the broken hill miners i think suggests where priorities lie where the ideological battle lines were drawn and why Titanic was memorialised quickly and the dead miners in Broken Hill were not. As far as I can see, the Titanic memorial is entirely ideological.
2: So people just take the Titanic and they apply their ideology and their politics and interpret it the way they want to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm more and more coming to the idea, and I may change my mind about this, but I'm thinking that Memorials of themselves don't have a life. They only have a life insofar as the people who are living around them see them as important and that importance can change over time. I think the the meaning of the Titanic memorial when it started is never going to be the same as it is a hundred years later. Those societies have changed, they have different ideas about it, but if it has a relevance to them, Today, that it didn't have in the past. I don't think that's
1: a problem. And maybe that's the point that memorials aren't so much about the events that they're built to commemorate as they are about the changing politics of remembering and forgetting.
6: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a walk in the park. It's uh, one of the events to, uh, for the Broken Hill Heritage Festival that started on Wednesday It's
2: Heritage night. Week in Broken Hill. You... This year the theme is monuments, which is what brought me here in the first place. I'm in Step Park and a crowd of people have gathered. And everyone's here to talk about the Titanic Memorial, what it meant in the past and what it means today.
4: I would like to thank all those people that worked so hard and who linked the RMS Titanic with the city of Broken Hill. The bandsmen's Memorial, its trades unions, its bands, its citizens and its empathy with all built this memorial. You've
1: been listening to History Lab, an investigative history podcast by the Australian Centre for Public History at UTS. I'm your host, Tamson Peach. Thanks to our collaborating historian, Sarah Gregson. And special thanks to the Broken Hill Historical Society, the team at Outback Archives, the Barrier Industrial Union Brass Band, Broken Hill Community Voices, Steve Vine, and everyone else who showed Nina around town. If you want more history for your ears, head to historylab.net, and there you'll find some photos of the memorials that Nina took on her trip. Next time on History Lab... We find a past that is still singing. Them waves are talking to
5: us. Everything talks to us the wind, everything. And that's why it's always good to listen and just soak up what's here. This episode was
1: produced by Nina Copel.
2: There are these moments that we know from the records, there were people expressing doubts.
1: Welcome to history, Nina.
2: Oh, but what do you, <laughs> how do you say that in a sentence?
1: Our executive producer is Emma Lancaster. Miles Martinioni is our supervising producer. Sound design by Joe Koning. Marketing and communications by Andy Huang. History Lab is made in the studios of 2SER that sit on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, who have been telling stories since time immemorial.